Do you know what day today is? Ah, see? You know. Super Bowl Sunday. So um, we have a video coming out on our Facebook page. If you have any football friends, it's going to come out this afternoon, and it's a testimony of a football player and how he came to Christ and how his life was changed. So check out our page, reshare it, share it with some of your friends. It's a good day to, to share a testimony like that from a football player and how he came to Christ. So just keep that on the radar when you're scrolling through your Facebook feed later on today. Um, so we're, we're going through the, the, the series on Joseph, and we're at part four. We just have uh, two more to go today and next Sunday. And we're here at this place where Joseph is looking for forgiveness here, and he finds forgiveness. And uh, that's the title of the message today is Finding Forgiveness. Um, finding Forgiveness. So last week we looked at what Joseph was going through. And he, Joseph came to a really good place last week. Um, he left prison. He was now the governor over the land of Egypt. He got married. He had two sons. Uh, the in- interpretation of, his dream, of the Pharaoh's dreams were coming to pass. They had finished the seven years of plenty. Now they were in, into two years of famine. And so this is the situation that we find with Joseph. And just to recap a little bit of what, we, what we've talked about already, the first week we looked at a little bit about rejection. We saw that rejection is painful. The Lord is with us in our pain, and Christ accepts us into his family. The second week we looked at a little bit about this temptation that Joseph went through. We saw that Joseph knew what sin was. We saw that Joseph fought to preserve his integrity. And despite doing everything right... Joseph still lost, okay, in the temporary. And then last week, we were looking a little bit at, at trials, and we saw how trials come to prove us when Joseph went from the prison all the way to the palace. Um, we need to use our gifts to serve others, and we also saw that we need to trust the timing of the Lord, as we see throughout the story in, in, uh, of Joseph. So I hope you read chapters 42 to 45 in preparation for this message. And if you're a guest with us and it's your first time here, don't worry about that. I'm just going to give you a little recap of what actually happened in, this chap- in these chapters. Now, there's so much that ha- goes on in these chapters. We could do a whole series of messages just on these chapters. So I'm trying to just condense it all into one message here today. So basically what happens in these chapters, the famine has reached Canaan where Jacob and his sons are. That's Joseph's, Joseph's family. And they hear that there's food in Egypt, so they they go there to buy some, some food. Now, Joseph recognizes his brothers, but his brothers don't recognize Joseph. And Joseph speaks roughly to them and accuses them of being spies. And uh, they have to admit that they have one other brother still left at home. So Joseph throws them all into prison and he, and he says, look, you need to bring your, your last brother needs to come here. After three days, Joseph has a little bit of a change of heart. And uh, he says, okay, I'm going to let you all go back but I'm going to keep one person here. And that person was? Uh, see, that's why not, not that many people got it right on the quiz. <laughs> that person was Simeon. So Simeon had to stay back, right, in, in prison, and everyone else was allowed to go back, go back home. Okay? And um, so then after that, they actually had, their, they had bags of grain that they were taking back home, and what Joseph did was he put their money back into, the, into those sacks. And... Um, 
and they were surprised when they saw that. Um, so the brothers return to Jacob, their father, and they report what happened. And Jacob says, look, I'm not sending Benjamin. Benjamin's my youngest son. He's the only one, the, the youngest one that's left. I'm not sending him to Egypt. He's not going there. So Simeon, poor guy, he's stuck in prison. After some time, they run out of food. And so Jacob says, okay, go and buy some more food. And reluctantly, he sends Benjamin along with them. When Joseph sees them come back again, he tells his, his servants there, okay, bring them to my house. I'm going to give them a feast to eat. And Joseph meets Benjamin. He's very emotional when he sees Benjamin, his own brother. And uh, he leaves the room and he cries. And uh, Joseph gives some instructions as they're leaving. He says, okay, fill their sacks with grain, put their money back in. But in Benjamin's bag, I want you to put this silver cup, which I think most of you got that one right, right? The silver cup, right? And so they leave. And after they leave, Joseph sends a steward after them. And he, the steward comes after the brothers and says, hey, you've stolen from my master. They said, no, we haven't. And, they, and the steward says, okay, whoever I find having the silver cup is going to be Joseph's slave. Search through all the bags from the eldest to the youngest. And lo and behold, who has the silver cup? Benjamin. Oh, not again right? And so what happens is they all go back to, to, to Egypt, and the brothers are distraught. Look at what's happening to us. And finally, uh, Judah speaks up, right? I think most of you got that one right. Judah speaks up, and he says, look, keep me as a slave, not Benjamin, because otherwise my father will be distraught, and he will, he'll die because he's already lost one son. Then Joseph realizes, ha, they learned their lesson, they didn't do that for me, but they're willing to do that for Benjamin. They've learned their lesson. And so Joseph reveals himself to the brothers. The brothers are shocked. How can this be? Right? So many years later, right? And then Joseph sends them back with lots of food and animals and all sorts of other stuff. Jacob hears the news. My son is living. And his spirit revives with him. And he says, I'm going to go and see my son. So there's a lot of things going on in these chapters, and there's a lot of things that we could talk about, but I'm just going to highlight a few things this morning um, in these chapters. The first thing that we see in these, that we can, I think that we can learn from these chapters is that in God's mercies, he gives us a chance to repent. I think God was giving the brothers a chance to repent, a chance to admit their fault, a chance to confess their sin, Sadly, they didn't really take advantage of that opportunity. So after many years, this is probably about 22 to 23 years later that these brothers are seeing Joseph, okay, after they've sold him into, into Egypt, right? And probably during those years, maybe their heart was convicting them from time to time. And maybe whenever something bad happened, they probably thought, oh, this is happening because God is punishing us from, for what we, what we did. Have you ever felt like that? You do something, something happens to you, and then you think, oh, it's because I did this bad thing, right? Anyone ever felt like that? And you feel like, oh, God is punishing me because I did this bad thing. Well, that's how Joseph's brothers felt, because it says here in Genesis 42, verse 21, it says, speaking among themselves, they said, clearly, because they were being treated very harshly by Joseph, they said, clearly, we're being punished because of what we did to Joseph. Now, this happened like 20 plus years ago. And after, still after 20 years, the brothers are remembering this and they're saying, look at this bad thing that's happening to us. And the reason this is happening is because of what we did to Joseph. You know what that's called? A guilty conscience, right? It's a guilty conscience. So because of what we did long ago to Joseph, we saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. 
God was giving them a chance to acknowledge their sin, to acknowledge their failure, to acknowledge what they did, to repent and turn to him. But sadly, the brothers didn't take advantage of that, right? They didn't do that. What do we do with conviction? When conviction comes our way, do we respond or do we just harden our heart and just say, oh, I'm in in this problem? You know, Reuben pipes up here, you know, with the famous, I told you so, right? And he comes and says, yeah, I told you so. We shouldn't have done anything bad to Joseph, I think Joseph had already forgiven his brothers because he sees the hand of God in the situation, which we're going to see in a moment, right? And we see Joseph's brothers prostrating themselves before him in a fulfillment of Joseph's dreams. But Joseph puts his brothers through a test because he wanted them to see whether they actually learned. He wanted to see whether they had actually learned a lesson. Would they continue to treat each other, their own family, their own brother badly, or had they learned to love? So what does Joseph do? He, he puts the money back into their, into their sacks and uh, he doesn't take anything from them, but instead he blesses them with food. It's interesting because what Joseph does for their brothers on this first trip, he gives them what food that they want and he gives them their money back. In a sense, Joseph was being good to them. Joseph was being kind to them. But because of their guilty conscience, what did they see it as? Trouble and fear. And that can happen to us as well. That God can be kind to us, others can be kind to us, but we misinterpret the kindness and goodness of God and the kindness and goodness of others because of our guilty conscience, because of how we feel. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, uh, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended for what? To turn you away from sin. Joseph gave the brothers their food. He even gave their money back. So they basically got free food. They basically came to Egypt for an all-you-can-eat plus a take-home. They didn't see the goodness in that. They didn't see that, but they just perceived it as, oh, there's something wrong. But dear friends and people of God, we have to understand that God allows goodness and kindness to come to us to lead us to repentance to bring us to a place where we can acknowledge our sin. In, verse, in chapter 42 and verse 28, it says, Look, he exclaimed to his brothers, my money has been returned. It's here in my sack. And what happened to their hearts? It sank. What if I told you today, when you're leaving the sanctuary today, we have like $100 bills and we're just going to drop it in your, you know, in your pocket as you go out? Right, how are you going to feel? Like, whoever felt bad for free money? But these guys here, what happened? They said, look, the money is returned in my sack. And what happened? Their heart sank. And they were trembling. They said to each other, what has God done to us? Can you see how the goodness that was given to them that should have led them to repentance was interpreted in a total different way? And they were scared and they were fearful. And dear friends, that can happen to us as well. That we can misinterpret the goodness of God and the kindness that other people show if we are guilty. If we are found sinful and not coming to the Lord. They went home. They, they lied to their father. They lied about Joseph, right? And they continued this lying. When they, when they came to Joseph, it's, it's really ironic. In pleading with Joseph, they said, Joseph. They didn't say Joseph, but they said, Governor, we're honest men. And I'm thinking Joseph was probably scratching his head and thinking, yeah, right. These guys, honest men. It took 20 plus years. But God was still giving them a chance 
to repent. It took 20 plus years, but God was still showing them mercy, giving them an opportunity to acknowledge their guilt and their failing to their father. Even on the return trip, their, their guilt was eating them, eating them up, right? When they, came, when they came the second time and Joseph brought him into their house. Now look, Joseph realizes these guys, there's a famine going on. They might have not, not too much food. They've come again the second time. So they're running out of food. Maybe they've been rationing some of their, their grain. Maybe Joseph realized, you know, I gave them this amount of food. Why did it take so long for them to come back? So Joseph brings them to his house for this big feast, for this extravagant feast. And what did the brothers say? It says the brothers were terrified when they saw that they were being taken into Joseph's house. Now, if I told you today, you know, after the service, we're going to go to the Mandarin Happy Chinese New Year, by the way, for all, all of our Chinese friends here, right? What if I told you today we're going to go out for a nice meal to eat? What would you say? All right, that's awesome. It's amazing. Joseph said, come to my house. I'm going to give you a feast. They were going to be able to eat a huge feast. And Joseph killed an animal, and they were going to have, have a feast. But the, what, what was the brothers saying? Just the brothers were terrified. This is what guilt does. They, they had an opportunity to repent, right? If, for example, if, if you're at work and um, you did something wrong and you haven't told anybody, and then you get a call from your boss, hey, I need to see you in my office. The boss might not know anything that's going on, and he's probably calling you to say, hey, you want to go out for lunch or this or that? Well, what are you thinking in your heart? Oh, does he know? I wonder if anybody told him, right? Maybe I'm found out. Ever been in that situation? It's the guilt that eats away. It's the guilt that eats away. God is giving us an opportunity, dear friends, dear people of God, to repent and turn to him. If we repent and put things right, then we can live in the light. John was writing about, about loving others and forgiving others in 1 John. And he said that how can we love God if we can't even love our brothers whom we can see? How can we love God that, who we can't see? Right? Joseph said in Genesis chapter 45 and verse 3, it says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. This is when he was revealing himself. He said, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were what? Terrified. They were terrified in his presence. Guilt eating away. 1 John chapter 4 and verses 16 to 18. Here it says that God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be, what? Not be afraid. See here, we will not be afraid of the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has what? No fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. I don't know. Is there anyone here you're afraid of punishment? Today, Christ wants us to come to him. Christ is giving us an opportunity to repent. If there's something hidden, if there's something in the darkness, if there's something that you're afraid of it being exposed, then come to Jesus today. Don't be afraid. Why? Because perfect love expels all fear. Perfect love expels all fear. Christ wants to forgive us. 
And he wants us to be able to forgive others as well. If you look at this example of Joseph, and we see in such an amazing way how he forgave his brothers, how he treated his brothers with kindness. There was a, a, a story about a year or so ago, you might have heard it in the news, it was about a, 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 a gymnast instructor named Larry Nasser, and sadly, I don't want to go into the details, but sadly he was accused and found guilty of molesting many, many girls. And there was one, girl, one lady, her name is Rachel Del Hollander. She was the first one to speak up. She was the first one to say this is what was happening. And at his trial, after about 150 girls had testified, she was the last one to speak. And I want to read you just a portion of what she said because I found it very powerful and very moving. And she said this to him. This was part of her. You can read the whole thing online later on. It's, it's quite lengthy, but this is just a small segment of that. And, and just note here how she emphasizes guilt and punishment, but also emphasizes forgiveness and grace. And she said, in our early hearings, you brought, addressing this guy, Larry, you brought your Bible into the courtroom and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know that definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to live, to love this way. You spoke of praying for forgiveness, but Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all its utter depravity and horror without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. If the Bible you carry says it is better to stone, better for a stone to be thrown around your neck and you thrown into a lake than for you to make even one child stumble, you have damaged hundreds. The Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me though I extend that to you as well. Can you imagine that? I, I want to read you just, I'm going to put it up on the screen. I want to read you just that, that ending portion again because, I don't know, whenever I read this, I come to tears. She said, should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. There is guilt. But there is repentance, but there is love, mercy, and kindness. She says it will be crushing, and that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. I, I, I honestly, I don't know if I could say the same things that she was saying if I was in her shoes. 
I find this absolutely remarkable. I find this absolutely outstanding. I find this just is because of Jesus and his love. And I find that she is a person that is being transformed by the love of Christ. Because I don't know if I could say the same things that she's saying after having gone through what she went through. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. I feel like I could just stop the message right here. This is forgiveness. This is understanding what guilt is. It's understanding what repentance is. I find this an amazing expression of the gospel summed up in these few lines. Of what Christ offers for us when we acknowledge where we've been and how we've lived. The second thing which leads right into this is that forgiveness is difficult but it is po- but powerful with God's help. Forgiveness is not easy. I can tell you story after story, just of an example of what we just read right now, of horrific things that have happened and human nature that's prone to doing evil. But then they take that step to forgive someone else. And there's many ways in which maybe we've been hurt and we've been offended and we've been cast aside and evil has been done to us, but are we willing to take that step to forgive The point is that we need God's help. Joseph endured terrible trials and terrible difficulties that maybe many of us might never experience, but we've gone through our own difficult times and our own trials and our own hardships. But can you see the perspective of Joseph here in Genesis chapter 45? Look at what Joseph says here when he acknowledges who he is to his, to his, um, to his brothers. He said, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. Why? It was God who sent me here, ahead of you to preserve your lives. What does he say again? God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me. Three times, here he's saying, it was God who sent me, it was God who sent me, it was God who sent me. Joseph's perspective was totally different, and that is what I, what I believe has helped him also to be able to forgive his brothers. Joseph had a totally different perspective. There's a saying, those who leave everything in God's hands will see God's hand in everything. Whatever we've gone through today, can I encourage you to forgive? Can I encourage you to see God's love, mercy, and grace? And maybe you've never experienced God's forgiveness. I want to encourage you today to experience Jesus. To give your heart and life to him. Joseph wanted to see that his brothers were truly changed. And so he he put them through this test. And he wanted to see whether they would deal differently with his youngest brother, Benjamin, than than how they dealt with him. Now, he engineered this whole plan to bring Benjamin and to put him through this test. And um, it, it could have turned out really bad. But they learned their lesson. And you know the person that actually interceded for Benjamin? When Joseph said, okay, Benjamin's going to be my slave. You know the person that interceded for Benjamin? Who it was? 
It was Judah, the same brother that had the bright idea to say, let's sell Joseph to these, to these traders. The same guy, if you go back to, to Genesis chapter 37, the same guy that said, let's sell Joseph is the same guy now that is saying, please take me instead of Benjamin. Let me put my life in his place. In this case, Joseph got to test them to see whether they were actually different, but we might not always get that opportunity. And forgiveness shouldn't be because somebody changes. We need to forgive regardless. And I think Joseph did forgive regardless. But he was looking to see whether there was a positive change in his brothers. And and very quickly, um, just looking at maybe a, a few things that Joseph did so that we can understand why, how, why Joseph actually or how Joseph actually uh, forgave. Just a few things. Number one is that I think you can see through the story the kindness of Joseph, right? He sent food for them. He returned their money to them. He gave them as much as they could carry. He was concerned for his family back in Canaan to make sure that they actually had enough money. It says, Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. Another thing that we, and you know, when, he, when they came the second time, Joseph made an extravagant meal for them and said, come and eat because he wanted to feed them. He wanted to make sure that they were healthy, that they were taken care of. We can see the kindness of Joseph. Is there somebody here today that you need to show kindness to? Is there somebody in your life, in your world that you need to show kindness to? The second thing that we see is that Joseph wept. In Genesis 42, verse 24, it says he turned away from them and began to weep. If Joseph was still angry with his brothers, he would not have expressed this emotion. He would have been hardened. He would have been full of bitterness. He would have been angry. But instead, the sight of his brothers brought him to tears. And when he sees his brother Benjamin, he, he tears up as well. It says, then Joseph kissed, this is after he revealed himself, it says, then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after they began talking freely with him. See, Joseph forgave completely. There was reconciliation. They started talking. The third thing I think that we can see is that Joseph didn't tell others about his brother's sin. He didn't spread it all over to everyone and say, hey, look, oh, my, my brothers are here. Look at what they did. In Genesis 45, it says, Joseph could stand it no longer. This is when he's ready to reveal himself to his brothers. And he says, there were many people in the room. And he said to his attendants, out all of you. So he was alone when his brothers, with his brothers when he told them who he was. You know, sometimes when, when there's unforgiveness and when there's bitterness in us, what are we quick to do? Tell everybody. You know what Keisha did to me yesterday? Yeah, we want to spread it all around. Joseph had forgiven his brothers, and so he didn't want to spread the story. He wanted it just to be with them. How about us? Do we like to gossip about others? Do we like to tell them, oh, this person hurt me? Oh, this person did this to me? And we spread it around to everyone. Now, there's an exception when there's a a legal matter and something needs to be done legally, like the story that I just uh, read to you. But generally speaking, when we forgive, do we forgive and spread it all abroad? Or do we do what like Joseph did? And I think another thing that we see here is that he wanted to be close to his family. He wanted his family to be close to him. After revealing himself to his brothers, he said, come close. He said in, in chapter 45, please come closer. And he, he said to them, so they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. 
You know, if it's somebody that we, are, we have bitterness or anger or if there's unforgiveness that's there, we don't want to see that person. I hope you don't come to church and sit over here because the other person you're upset is sitting over here. And you're like, I'm going to come through this door and I'm going to have my nice seat here, but I don't want to see this person on that side. Or let me sit up in the balcony because down here, oh man. Or maybe the people down here, you're thinking, I don't, good that I can't see them up there. How do we deal with people? Maybe when we go to work, maybe when it's a family function. If it's somebody that, that, that we have some hurt or bitterness or unforgiveness, or we don't want to see them, right? Not only did Joseph say, come to the land of Egypt, he said, I'm going to give you the best land. He said here in, ch- in chapter 45, so come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen where you can be, you can be what? Near me. See this? Where you can be near me. With all your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and everything you own. What does Joseph say here? I will take care of you. Does this sound like a person who has bitterness or unforgiveness in his heart against them? No. See the response of Joseph. He says, come down immediately. Be near me. I'll take care of you. If we have unforgiveness, we don't even want to see people like that. And sadly, there are some families and, and close relatives that don't even talk to each other because of unforgiveness. In 1993, 16-year-old Oshia Israel killed 20-year-old uh, Laraman Bird. Bird's mother was racked with grief, and Israel was sentenced to 25 years in prison, but he got out after 17 years. Bird's mother, Mary Johnson, who was a devout Christian, visited him in prison in hopes of finding a way to forgive this young man. Israel's, Israel first didn't want to meet with, with her, but after nine months, he finally agreed. And Mary continued to meet with him and forgave him. When he got out of prison, she introduced him to her landlord. Do you know why? Because she wanted him to move into the apartment right beside her. That's amazing. She said, let him be close to me. And she said, unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about the other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. One person once said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Doesn't work that way. So let's learn to forgive. Let's follow the example of Joseph and see what he he has done. The last point is that love conquers vengeance. Love conquers vengeance. After Jacob dies, years later in the story, Jacob dies. And then the brothers become very worried and scared now. They're thinking, okay, now our father is gone. What is Joseph going to do now? Is Joseph going to take vengeance on us now? But what does he say in Genesis chapter 50? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father, the brother sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Why? Because after all of these years, they still had not realized that he had completely and totally and unconditionally forgiven them. 
After these verses in verse 16 and 17, he reiterates our theme verse, Genesis 50 verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. And then what does he say in verse 21? He says, so then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them. And he spoke kindly to them. Love conquers vengeance. They were so scared and they thought, Joseph is going to take vengeance on us. Joseph is going to, going to kill us. Who knows what Joseph is going to do? So let's send word to Joseph and say, our father said to do this and please forgive us and help us and, and all of these things. And Joseph just wept because after all these years, they did not realize that Joseph had actually forgiven them completely, unconditionally, without terms. And he had to reassure them. He said, don't be afraid. Please don't be afraid. I will provide for you. This is amazing forgiveness. This is Christ-like forgiveness. In everything that happened in this story, Joseph could have easily taken vengeance on his brothers and made them go through suffering and pain. He could have refused to give them food. He could have said, forget it. You all starve over there. You know how you treated me? Do you remember that? 20 years ago? You stay there in Canaan. That's it. I'll send you a doggy bag every now and then maybe. No, Joseph said, come to me. Come close to me. Inhabit the very best land of Egypt and be near where I am so I can take care of you and I can be with you and I can have fellowship and company with you. I've missed this for all of these years. Please come close to me. And they still didn't get the memo. But Joseph continued to show love. And he let that love conquer that vengeance. How about us today? Is there somebody in our lives we're thinking, oh, I wish I could just really get them? I wish something bad could happen to them? Oh, look at what they did to me. Or maybe something bad is happening and secretly we're rejoicing. Oh, they really deserve that. I hope some more happens. That wasn't Joseph. It's not Jesus. It's not what he calls us to as well. First Peter 3 verse 9 says, Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is Joseph. This is what Joseph did. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. This is what happened to Joseph. Joseph had the blessing of God wherever he was when he was in the, in the prison, when he was in Potiphar's house and in the prison and in the palace, wherever he was. Joseph had the blessing of God because Joseph didn't pay back evil for the evil that was done to him. He saw the hand of God and he knew God sent me here and I'm not going to pay back evil for the evil people have done to me. Look at this interesting verse in Romans chapter 12. It says, never pay back evil with more evil. Dear friends, never take revenge. Instead... This is totally Joseph here. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, do what? Feed them. This is totally Joseph. Feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. You meant it for evil. But God turned it around for good. You meant it for evil. But I saw the hand of God. You wanted to destroy me. Oh, but God preserved me. He preserved me so I can bless you again. 
He blessed me so that I could bless you. This is what Joseph did. He fed his family. He took care of them. He showed them love. He showed them kindness. He didn't repay evil for evil. Love conquered vengeance. Let that be the story of our life as well. I want to tell you one story in closing. The worship team can come. And it's the story of a man named Louis Zamfarini. Anyone heard of Louis Zamfarini? There's a, move, there's a book that was written, by him, written by, about him called Unbroken. And then there was a movie that was taken out of that book called Unbroken. And then there was another movie after that because the first movie only told the first part of the story and didn't tell the second part of the story, which was actually the best part of the story. His life is told in this famous book. He competed in the 1936 Olympics in track, which gained him some fame. Then in World War II began, Zamfarini enlisted in the United States uh, Army Air Corps. And on May 27, 1943, his plane crashed in the ocean. And there were three survivors, and one of which died after 33 days. But Zamfarini and another crewmate survived for 47 days adrift. It was a miracle that they even survived. They, sur- they survived shark attacks. They survived by eating raw fish, drinking rainwater, facing bullets by the Japanese. They finally got to land and they were captured by the Japanese Navy and taken as prisoners of war. They were mistreated and severely beaten, especially by one guard named the bird. It was horrible. And this first movie depicts the the, the abuse that he went through by these prison guards. After the war was over and he came back to the United States, he had nightmares. He had PTSD. He began to drink heavily, heavily. And then one day in 1949... He attended that famous Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles, and he gave his heart to the Lord. Now, I'm not doing justice to the story because of time, but if you want to go home and read the story or watch some videos, it's amazing how he came to that crusade and gave his heart to the Lord. On that day, his nightmare stopped, and he forgave his captors. He even returned to Japan years later in 1952, and he visited Uh, Sagamo prison where many war criminals were there and he expressed his forgiveness to those people he became an evangelist who spoke often about forgiveness and in 1998 he ran the last leg he ran a leg of the Olympic torch relay in the winter Olympics in Nagano, Japan right by a former prison where he was held as a POW And he wrote this letter to one of the most horrible and worst guards called the bird. And he wrote this letter. He said, as a result of my prisoner, my prisoner war experience under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life has become a nightmare. It was not so much due to the pain and suffering as it was to the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate, to hate with vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner of war, but also as a human being, were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble, but thanks to a confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, and that's the picture that you see there in the bottom left, I committed my life to Christ. Love has replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 1952 and was graciously allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at Sagamo Prison. 
I asked then about you and was told that you probably had committed harakira, which is like committing suicide. But he didn't. He was actually alive. Which I was sad to hear. At that moment, like the others, I also forgave you and now would hope that you would also become a Christian. It's an amazing story of forgiveness. I want to invite you today. Come to Jesus. Experience his love. Experience his forgiveness. Experience what he can do to transform our lives. And then we can reflect that same forgiveness to others as well.